Happy Easter, happy resurrection day. He's not here, he is risen. You know what a joy it is to be in God's house this day. Um, I'm thankful for you being here and celebrating with us in worship. Um, I want you to know that, that I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. With all that I am. I love him more than anything in this life. I married my wife 33, almost 33 years ago. But in her life, I'm second. And in my life, she's second. Jesus Christ is number one. He takes first place. You know, we're going to be in Matthew this morning, chapter 28. If you want to turn back in your scripture. You know, among some of the pastoral duties that I do along during the week, um, sometimes there's weddings and funerals. And, you know, quite honestly, at a wedding, you can say almost anything. Uh, and believe me, some people do. And uh, people will tell you that it was a beautiful ceremony. I mean, you could probably say something like, Mary had a little lamb. You know, in that sense, and then at the end of it, they would say, oh, that was a beautiful ceremony. But a funeral, that's different. The reality and finality of death is all too obvious. A rather quick way, an easy way to see the orthodoxy of any preacher, I've concluded is to listen to one of their funeral messages. Because as you do, you will know right away where that preacher stands on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Usually in less than a half an hour, you can know for certainty where he stands. And I've attended funerals where the most profound thing that the preacher said was, even God is crying. You know, I think it was raining outside at the time. I've heard a preacher assure his audience that the tragic death of a young mother was not the will of God, as though her death was the result of some tragic administrative mix-up in heaven. I've heard deceased atheists and pagans spoken of, spoken of as if they were charter members of the kingdom of God. The promises of eternal bliss given to believers in the scriptures are doled out as if they are the right of everyone who is attendance, in attendance, whether they are believers or not. And most certainly it is thought to be politically incorrect for any preacher to refer, to even refer to hell, much less the possibility of anyone spending an eternity there. There are many things that can be said at a funeral. But there's only one message that gives hope. And that is the gospel, the message of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. See, this is because the gospel of Jesus Christ has as its central theme and message the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, he rose from the dead. And the resulting hope of resurrection and eternal life is for every believer in Jesus Christ. See, the resurrection of Jesus is awesome. It's awesome. The fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rose. 
The fact is, is we might kind of believe it. Otherwise, we'd be telling everybody we know about it. This is the best thing. This is better than Financial Peace University. This is better than anything we've ever heard of. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amen. Even though some people may doubt it, some people may not know about it. It's the most awesome news you could give anyone. Amen. There was a Sunday school teacher and she just finished telling her third graders about how Jesus was crucified and then he was, he was buried and they, they covered the tomb with this great big stone and, and sealed the opening and then, then wanting to uh, share the excitement of the resurrection, she asked the question, she said, what do you think Jesus' first words were when he came out of the tomb? Well, hand shot up in the back of the room, attached to that hand was an arm of a little girl. She said, I know, I know. And she said, well, okay, tell us. What was his first words when he came out of the tomb? And she went, ta-da! <laughs> I mean, that's a ta-da moment. <laughs> and when you come back from the grave, when you come back from the dead, I mean, he has every right to say, ta-da! Because he come back to life. Matthew 28, I want to read this account. It's Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7. you follow along there. It says, now after the Sabbath, the Sabbath is on Saturday. The Sabbath, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Loving Father, I thank you for the risen Lord. I thank you for the, the miracle, the awesomeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you that he came back from the dead to life and that he lives today, ever victorious. Father, I thank you for that. I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts even now. Father, that you would show us the truth about this empty tomb. Father, that you would show us the truth of ourselves. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for being our teacher and our guide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the empty tomb, it proclaims to us that Jesus is God. 
don't quickly move over that Jesus is God and that life comes from Him. I mean, He boldly proclaimed this to the Jews. If you look over in John chapter 10, I didn't mean for this to be a, a Bible drill, but if it turns into that, so be it. But John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said this. He said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus is telling them, nobody's taking my life from me. I'm laying it down freely. And then when I choose, I'm going to pick it back up again. Wow. Just the implication of that. Only God could do that. Only God could, could die and come back to life. You see, the scriptures speak about people coming back to, uh, from the dead to life. You think about the, the Shunammite woman's son in, in 2 Kings 4, where Elisha uh, spread out and laid down on top of him, and he came back to life. He was dead, and he, he came back to life. There was the, the widow's son at Nain, and there was also Lazarus. You remember Lazarus, Jesus' friend? They all had life restored. But hear me, it was given back to them. Not taken by their own power. <laughs> this is big stuff. Because Jesus arose from his own accord and by his own power. There was no voice calling him. There was no one saying, Jesus come forth out of the tomb. There was no hands touching him. Jesus by his own power came back to life from the grave. You see, Jesus was and is self-existent. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our power. He doesn't need anything about us. He is self-existent. The tomb that is empty testifies that He is God. See, this empty tomb it is also the assurance that He has the power to raise us. I mean, if he has the power to take his own life back, to, to be raised from the grave, then he has the power to do that for us as well. We saw that in Lazarus' life. He'd been dead four days. And he called him back to life. Oh, that same power. You know, the Apostle Paul in first, or excuse me, in Colossians 1.18, he called him the firstborn from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, he says that Christ has become the first fruits of them that slept. You see, what I'm trying to say is that his death, his, his resurrection is a prelude to our own. It, what ha is it, it is what happens before our own. So no longer does the believer, the Christian, view the grave as the end. But now the grave is the beginning. It's the doorway, if you will, to life. Because Jesus turned the tomb... <coughs> Into a womb. A place of death. Into a place of life. From sunset to sunrise. And you know the question has always been. If a person dies. Will they live again? Deep down we know that. It is written on the walls of our heart. 
by the master designer. He has written that on the walls of our heart that yes, there is life after death. We recognize that our spirit calls us and identifies with that. The empty tomb answers that question with a resounding and a joyous shout because Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. Either we trust Him or we don't. You're not going to be riding the fence. You're not going to be kind of pregnant. You're not going to be kind of trusting in Jesus. You either are or you're not. See, our cemeteries have become fields of immortality. Sown in corruption. Raised incorruptible. Planted as mortals, we will arise as immortals. The graves are the arena of Christ's greatest victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? You know, people sometimes want to ask the question, well, why was the stone rolled away? Well, the stone was not rolled away so that he could come out. I guarantee you that. I mean, we find later on in the accounts of his appearances that at one point, he entered the, the upper room where the disciples were waiting there and the, the, the doors and the windows were closed and locked and, and he passed through. He passed through the wall and was standing in their midst. He, nobody opened the door. He just passed through the, the, the wall and was standing there. You see, Jesus Christ, He doesn't need a door. No wall could hold Him out and no stone could hold Him in. But the stone was not rolled away so that He could come out. The stone was rolled away so that we could look inside. So that we would see that He is no longer here, that He is risen. It was rolled away so that it would be visible to everyone. See, the empty tomb is the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, cynics and critics have tried to explain it away. They've not been able to. The empty tomb still stands as evidence to all that he's not dead, that Jesus is alive today. <coughs> Jesus is alive today. Reminds me of five-year-old Jimmy. He was in the kitchen as his mom made supper. She asked him if he would go to the pantry and get a can of tomato soup. And he didn't want to go in there because it was dark. And so she asked him again. She said, I, I need you to go in there. And he finally said, okay. And she said, it'll be all right. Jesus is in there. He's with you. So he kind of hesitantly goes over the door and he opens the door and he kind of peeks in and it's dark in there. He has a thought. He opens the door and he says, Jesus, if you're in there, you might hand me that can of tomato soup. <laughs> I mean, really, he's with us wherever we go. If you're in there, Jimmy said, if you're in there, the stone was rolled away and we can look inside that dark and scary tomb to see if Jesus is in there. And resoundingly, all of the accounts tell us He was not in there. That He was risen from the dead. He is risen. See, the empty tomb speaks of real life here and forever.
It gives glory to life and it moves it from mere existence and terrible monotony to a meaningful experience. You know, to the disciples, it became a window through which they looked back at their experiences with Jesus. They looked back at, at, at what the things he had said and what he was, had done and, 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 and confused and baffled and in despair. They now saw and understood that there is a new hope. There is a new light. We have a new life in Jesus. See, there was new clarity. There was new purpose. And life was made full. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 10, 10? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly to have it to the full. He came so that we could, so that life would be made full. According to John 3, 36, Jesus said, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who believes in the Son. And so believing brings eternal life. Believing brings eternal life. I mean, this was the whole purpose that Christ came to rescue people, us, from spiritual death. You know, in John 11, Jesus was talking to Mary and Martha. He was talking to Martha about Lazarus and the fact that, that God was, was going to do something. And he said, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's what he said. To me, that makes it crystal clear. If we believe in him, believing brings eternal life. See, the empty tomb, it speaks to the person who's chosen the lesser nature. You know what? I've recognized that every person, every family, every family unit, every person in that family unit has issues. We all got issues. And when I say this, I'm not saying this to point something out in someone else's life. I'm saying this to point something out in my life. When we choose the lesser nature, a person who is suffering from moral paralysis and has become a slave to sin and its habits is offered hope and life in Jesus Christ. This is huge. Because we have people wandering around through life, through our communities, wondering what they're going to do with their life. They're addicted to sin. They're addicted to all kinds of things. And we don't know how to do, what to do about that. But what I'm telling you is Jesus Christ is the answer to that. He is the one who breaks the chains. He is the one who gives us new life. He is the one who brings about the transformation in our life. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. It's because of him that we have hope. See, the empty tomb speaks to the person who has drifted away from God. Folks, it's easy to do. It's easy for us to give our affection, our heart, to something else. Something less. It might be a relationship. It might be something else that has captured, you know, we all have that 
ADD kind of thing, you know? Ooh, shiny, I like that. So we follow it. But the idea is, is he came to help us with that. He, 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 he speaks, the empty tomb speaks to the person who has drifted away from God, who is undergoing the process of degeneration, of that sliding away from God, who is becoming more and more content with the way things are, who realizes that they are suffering from spiritual decay, decay but it's slow, they're slowly losing their awareness of God. See, the empty tomb, it offers us hope of eternal life. I want to tell you something. I never dreamed this good in this life. I never dreamed that anyone would love me like my Savior. I never dreamed that a woman would love me like my wife loves me. That my kids would love me like they do. But you know what? If this life is all there is, if this life is all there is, then take me now. The best is on the other side of that doorway. You see, it offers us eternal life. The empty tomb proclaims to all who will listen that death is not the final event. That death is only the gateway to a larger, more beautiful life. If I didn't believe this with all my heart, I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today. The reason that I'm preaching about this is because I believe this. It's easy for me to preach this because it's true and I believe in it. Because Jesus said that if we believe, then we have everlasting life. Death is not a door out of life, but a doorway into life. And the empty tomb is our guarantee that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Folks, make no mistake about it. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God. And that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. See, our salvation goes from glory to glory. This step of salvation, of, 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 of asking Jesus to come into your heart and to cleanse you of your sin. This, this act of believing in Him and His resurrection. The act of, of confessing Him with your mouth. Confessing Him as Lord and Savior. That, that act of salvation is never completed in this world. He not only wants us to be saved from our sins, but He also wants us to be saved from ourselves. Remember the Bible teaches that there are kind of three tenses, if you will, of salvation. Three tenses. There's the past. Ephesians 2, 8 tells us that for by grace we have been saved. Through faith. Okay? For by grace we have been saved. It's past tense. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. There's also a present tense to it. We are being saved daily from the power of sin. Because we have a risen Lord who loves us. Who, who, who is our advocate. Who is our mediator. 
We are saved from not only the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. And in the future, someday, we will be saved from the presence of sin. But you know what's not in heaven? Sin. We'll be redeemed for all eternity. The point is this, is that Christ died. He died for our selfish independence. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody uh, calling the shots but us. We're so selfish. We want to do it our way. And so our rejection is of His way, of His righteousness. We decide, I know better for me what I need. And so we mumble and we, we grope through this world and we try to make it on our own and we mess it up every time. Apart from Him, we mess it up. We sin. And then we, we feel bad about it. And then we sin some more. And then we feel bad about it. And then we sin some more. And pretty soon the enemy has us right where he wants us. Because sin, when it is fully developed, brings forth death. And we all have that issue. We can't say, well, that doesn't affect me. It affects us all. Not only does it affect, affect us personally, it affects us corporately. Jesus died for our selfish independence. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. I don't think we really get the word crushed there. That our Savior was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon Him. He took our punishment. By His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. God put our sin, my sin, and your sin upon His servant, Jesus. And He was crushed for our sin. You know, Martin Luther, he loved to say it this way. He said, Jesus never died for our good works. Because they were not worth dying. <coughs> but He gave Himself for our sins according to the Scriptures. See, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in order to do that, he died for us. Scripture also says he was buried. I mean, Jesus' burial is proof of his death. Normally, we don't bury people who are alive. Jesus' burial is proof of his death. In John 19, it says that Nicodemus... He brought about a hundred pounds of mixed myrrh and, and aloes and he took the body of Jesus and he wrapped it very carefully, it says, in linen and with these, these spices and he placed it in the tomb. Then a great stone was rolled in front of it. Folks, if there was any sign of life in Jesus Christ, they would not have buried him. The fact is, is that they buried him because he was dead. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. 
See, believing in Jesus' sinless life and His death is good, but you must also believe in His resurrection. This is what Romans 10, 9 says. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. He not only died for you, but He was also raised for you. But we come to the cross empty-handed, clinging only to the crucified Christ and His empty tomb. You know, though, though people, though infidels and in for hells deny it, the intellectual elite and the liberal thinkers call it foolishness. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is of vital importance. In fact, there's one belief that sets all of Christianity apart from every other world belief system and faith system and, and religion. It's the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the premier doctrine of all Christianity. And everything else that we believe and hold dear falls on the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, because if Jesus didn't, wasn't raised from the dead, then we're no better off than the worst sinner is this morning. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then the Bible is a lie and we have no hope. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then we have no gospel to preach and no Savior to preach about, and we, of all people, are most miserable. If Jesus never raised from the dead, then He Himself was guilty of, of deception because five times He said He was going to come up out of the tomb. I mean, destroy the resurrection, and Jesus is reduced to the status of an ordinary man. He's no longer God. Destroy the resurrection and you've destroyed the reason for us being justified before God. In Romans 4.25 says, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification. It's no wonder the devil hates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he can convince people that Jesus is dead... That he will, they will never believe unto their salvation. See, I thank God this morning that I know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. He is risen. He's alive. I know because I speak to him every day. I know because my spirit within me testifies of his presence with me. Did you know that the Romans crucified nearly 30,000 young Jewish men? 30,000. Only one crucified Jew stands out and is remembered, and his name is Jesus. And he's remembered because he lives. See, Jesus taught that the way of life... The way to life was the way of the cross. And by His death and resurrection, 
we've been given life through our faith in Him. So now as Christians, we are to apply the same principle to our earthly life. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, He says, If anyone, if any man wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, if we're going to follow Jesus, we follow Him in His death. We follow Him in His burial. And we follow Him in His resurrection. See, if we want to follow Jesus into life with God, He invites us to enter into His death. And listen, eternal life with God does not come as an earnings program. You can't earn it. It's not an enhancement program where you do your best and He'll help you out. Life with God comes as an exchange program. If we offer our life to Christ, we will receive His life within us as an exchange. You know, some of us have done that and some of us here may maybe not have. We've never acknowledged Jesus as our Savior. Lord. I want you to bow with me. And I want, to, I want to walk you through a, a very simple prayer. If you've never confessed Christ, if you've never acknowledged Him as your Savior and Lord, this is how you can do that, right where you're sitting. It's a life-changing prayer. It goes something like this. Dear God, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who He said He was. And he proved it by raising, rising from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord and as the leader of my life. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. To know you more and more each day. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in my life. We thank you in advance for all that you are going to do. We love you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.